Hello, and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And also, don't forget to send in any listener questions, if anything we say piques your interest, or if you just have any general questions at all. Today, it is Tuesday, September 8th, and we have the regular allotment of panelists with Ben. Hello. Dan. Hello. And Nick. Howdy. Um, so, it seems like every week, the same couple of things keep popping up uh, as we barrel toward the election, which less than 60 days away. Way, which is scary and shocking but um this week the most re- recent um example of police brutality is the re re-emergence of video of a killing of a man in rochester named daniel prude that happened sort of at the beginning of covid so there was no publicity around it but now the audio and video has been released and it's pretty shocking and brutal um things are picking up in rochester i know police were fired today i've heard plans for more protests in new york portland protests continue unabated um trump is sort of doubling down on his law and order messaging and uh shockingly at least to me trump has narrowed the gap a little bit in national polls and a lot of the reason seems to be people are buying into his law and order rhetoric at least a little bit after the convention so i don't know i'll, I'll open up the floor how how do we feel about uh, how things are progressing as the ramping up to November is here. It's kind of crazy that we're basically here at the next election. I feel like everyone on you know November 9th in 2016 were like, oh my God, this is going to be a long four years. And we are uh, have basically gotten through it. I don't know. I would say we're probably all a little worse for wear. And I would definitely like to spend less of my time on politics and focusing on every crazy thing that Trump does every day. But, you know, they say after Labor Day, it's when people start paying attention. So I think all of us are going to see a lot of political ads and a lot of, you know, all if we were talking about politics all the time already. Now it's going to go to super all the time if there's another level there. Yeah, on the Hill, we used to call it crazy season or silly, silly season. So, yeah, it's it's going to be very silly. OK, well, I personally was shocked that Trump's numbers are narrowing. And the, 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 the most interesting thing I've seen recently is that at this time in the cycle four years ago, Hillary was leading in the polls by something like 3%, but people, ex- she had a 25-point uh, lead in who thought she was going to win. She was an overwhelming favorite for who people expected to win. Now Trump, even though Biden is winning by something like seven or eight points, people expect him to lose. So I think that there is some sort of this reverse. Um, people are trying to sort of trick themselves into believing. But I, I, I find that to be just as dangerous of an assumption as the time before, because then you're giving almost too much space for the things that are working. I, I just, I, it seems like uh, Trump has momentum. It's undeniable that he has some momentum right now. Isn't it the general trend, and others will probably know this more, that these races tend to get closer as election day approaches, just because you have more and more people kind of committing as things become a little bit more clear. I, I know that this is kind of an unprecedented time, but um, you know, the further away that we get from COVID, for instance, being in the daily news, it's uh, I think it's easier for people to kind of forget the, about that. And Trump, you know, is doing his level best to downplay it as to the extent that he can. So I, I'm not overall surprised by this. I'm I still feel a lot of existential dread uh, overall, and that hasn't changed. But in terms of the actual polling, it's not it's not overly shocking to me. Yeah, I think 
I would say things definitely usually tighten a little bit in the fall. Maybe you could say, I think things are usually a little bit all over the place when the conventions happen, because usually both candidates get a bounce from the convention. So depending on which one goes first, in like say this year, if Biden was winning, then he has a convention, then he's winning by more, then Trump has a convention, and then it swings all the way back to Biden winning by less than when the convention started to then it settles out. But I think it seems to set it out a little bit in Trump's favor. I think that, I think as Ben said, the COVID, even though we have somewhere around a thousand people a day, maybe it's not a day, maybe it's 800 people a day losing their life because of COVID, that's become normalized um, in a scary way. And there aren't any states right now that have massively rising infections, maybe Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, a slight exception to that. And the economy is, quote unquote, better. And I think that's the Trump's new phrase is going to say, oh, I created 5 million jobs in the last three, three months. And it's like, well, 10 million were lost during the initial phase of the pandemic. So if we've got 5 million back, the math doesn't work there, buddy. But he will do his kind of delude, you know, distract and destroy type mentality of I created 5 million jobs in three months. That's the best record ever. And I think that's a talking point that he's going to say over and over and over and over again is it would have been worse. The recovery would have been slower without me. And the answer is maybe, maybe not. Maybe we wouldn't have needed a recovery without you because you led us into an economic crisis. So I think it's going to get tighter. But also, I think that polling, which can be all over the place, I think this year in particular, are people going to vote in person? Are they going to vote by mail? Are they going to mess up voting by mail? There's just so many variables that I think it's just everyone should be very scared until November 4th. So wait, explain some of that to us ex- exactly. So you see, you would have more insight than most onto the DNC's strategy. How is it different from last last time around? Like, for instance, is there more attention being p- paid to places like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or even somewhere like Florida or Maine? And also, what is um the strategy in terms of, like, how... I know Michigan and maybe Pennsylvania have rules where their ballots aren't going to be counted until very late in the process, where other places have their tally early. How is that going to affect how the the election actually plays out? So I think the one major thing, probably major difference this cycle versus last cycle is as the campaign, Biden campaign announced, they raised $365 million in August, which is an earth shattering amount of money. Like the previous record, let's say Obama 2012, in October, so like right as the election was about to happen, he raised $200 million. And Joe Biden raised 365 in August. So it's kind of just such an insane amount of money that there's going to be more attention paid to every state this time than 2016, 2012, 2008, because the scale of the fundraising and grassroots fundraising for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is so unprecedented that there's going to be a lot more engagement with all types of voters. So I think that's like one huge factor that was not present in 2016, where the fundraising was not as strong. So that's something that I think seems to have freaked out the Trump campaign a bit. There was a story in the New York Times yesterday saying they have no money. And I don't know if they have no money, but I think they see a number like that from Joe Biden in August, and they that would freak me out if I was a campaign manager. So there's going to be just an ability to spend a lot of money to try and reach people. And then to your point on vote counting, every state has crazy different rules on exactly when they start counting votes. I think um, one harbinger or bellwether will be Florida, which counts votes as they're received, even if they're received early. So they'll release their election results pretty quickly. And if Joe Biden wins Florida, it's over. And if it's close, that means probably Joe Biden wins if 
Trump wins Florida by four points on election night, then he's probably going to be reelected. So how do you win Florida? Or what is the strategy this time that didn't work last time as well? Do you, do you just carpet bomb people with sort of Fox News and Animal Crossing ads or what? Well, I don't think we like we don't like to use war terms. Um, so we would, you know, display a friendly ad on YouTube. Um, but <laughs> I think the big thing, the biggest difference that Maggie Haberman, who's one of my favorite followers on Twitter, talked about also today is that one of the reasons that Trump won in 2016 was third party voters. And so a big focus of the 2020 race, for sure, and I think which is very clear is if there are fewer people voting third party, that gives Joe Biden a, a greater chance of, of winning. And so I think you're seeing that if you look at the polls four years ago, maybe Hillary was up three, but there was 12% of the people were planning to vote for third party. And now Joe Biden's up, what, I don't know what the 538 average is, six points. And 5% of people are willing to vote for third party. So it's just like less volatility there, which helps close the gap in Florida. Like every vote for, you know, Ralph Nader would have gone to Al Gore and Al Gore would be the president in 2000. And it's a similar narrative in 2016 with Jill Stein. And so that we don't have a Jill Stein really in 2020. How many voters in Florida voted for Jill Stein? Is that a significant amount to have swayed that state? Well, I think uh, Hillary lost by 1.2%. In yeah. 2016, and I would say Jill Stein definitely got multiples of that. She probably got four oh, percent. Mm. She's also an anti-vaxxer and is pro-Putin. Uh, it looks she... like in Florida, Gary Johnson got 2.2 percent. Others got 0.9, so that's presumably write-ins, and Jill Stein got 0.7. Thanks. Because so they got combined about three. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, I, I don't think any of those what was Gary it, Johnson Wisconsin voters would have gone yeah. for Hillary. I don't think any of those Gary, those Gary Johnson voters would have gone for Hillary. Those are typically, yeah, those so are like kind of disaffected lied. Republicans. They inflated Jill Stein's numbers right there. Wait, Do you... Wisconsin, uh, Trump won by 0.7%. Gary Johnson got 36 Jill Stein got 1%. Uh, others, again, 1.2%. And then three other random people got a combined 06 So there you go. In total, huh. about, um, let me see. 8% of the right. vote. No, sorry, 7%. 7%. But I think the key for, thing, and this is what I was talking about, is the polls of Wisconsin would have showed that, let's say, 12% of the vote was going to third-party candidates. So then if only 5% did, that 5, or sorry, 7% did, that 5% scatters back to the, between Hillary and Donald Trump. And Donald Trump won a disproportionate share of those votes. And so went from being down in the polls to up in a lot of these states. And if you're starting from the projection is that the third-party candidates are only going to get 5% of the vote. They might actually only get 2%, but still that's less percent, like scattered percentage. So like yeah. less volatility in the numbers. Gotcha. The invisible majority is not so big. Wait, Nick, as someone connected to the American military, do you consider yourself more of a sucker or a loser? Uh, definitely a loser. <laughs> definitely a loser. <laughs> um, although I'm only a loser once a, once a month. Yeah, I, yeah, not great. I mean, I, I don't... John Bolton is saying that the whole well, story I think we of the pretty... French cemetery is not true, but Trump does have a track record of saying some some things that aren't necessarily most respectful. Uh, right. I think we should do an intro there and say what we were talking about for the listeners who maybe don't follow the news as closely as the Beltway Insiders is that President Trump, multiple people have confirmed that he made repeated disparaging comments about military veterans, wounded veterans, and those who were killed in action saying you're a loser if you got killed. I don't want to go to your gravesite, or I don't want wounded veterans in my parades because it's a bad look, which numerous people have confirmed that he said that. And I think from his comments about John McCain, I don't think it's 
shocking that that's the way he thinks, that he dodged the draft. And so only someone who is, what was the phrase, a loser or a sucker would have gone to Vietnam. And so he... In, in Trump's defense, according to his interview with Howard Stern, he did say that he... Okay, we've him. already heard it. Okay. We've already heard the yes. anecdote. So... Sorry. The other the, the other just larger general point is I think as the election approaches, the Lincoln Project has shown itself to be extremely effective. And the, the, the clearest example of this is just how aggravated Trump seems to get every time they tweet or, or make, make a new ad. And so I, th- I think we're shaping up to see a pretty formidable bulwark against Trump's bullshit as like you can you can see that there's. You have somewhere like The Atlantic or The New Yorker or something will publish an article that does hard-hitting journalism about something Trump has actually done. And then a, a site with with less um, journalistic integrity and more of a bone to pick will then amplify the message. I, it seems like this is a play taken strictly from Trump's playbook. Like, people saw this happening last election and now they're like, oh, we should replicate this. And I think it'll... It, it might work. Or th- th- I've been really impressed to see how they've been able to move the needle multiple times on this type of stuff because it seems like Republican outlets do a much better job of amplifying things and also just making things consumable to our, you know, tr- trauma and drama crazed society where we always some- want something nuts going on. Like we, I bring this up every week, but or, or often, but. If you look at the most read articles on Facebook, which is where most people get their news, it's at week after week. Crazy Ben talk. Shapiro and yeah. Breitbart and uh, Diamond and Silk. Last week, Diamond and Silk had a number one article for a couple of days, which is just incredible to think about. And so, I don't know, this is going back to like a, a former point. Maybe you can speak to us more about this, Nick, but do you think it's an effective strategy for Trump as a response to this, these Democratic, whatever you want to call uh, trying to paint him in a, in a certain light for him to do things like blast his ads in the DC market so that it by the nature of it being the beltway amplifies it more than you would if you put it into any market, any other market. Yeah. The Twitter phenomenon stuff, the retweet stuff is interesting. I don't really know how that's going to play out, but I, I do think that the, from an election narrative, what I'm seeing is sort of on the democratic side, people, you know, there's there's a lot of, in my mind, a lot of justification for a major screw up when it comes to responding to COVID. And I think people are going to pin that on the Trump administration's inept response. Um, and on the right side, it's much more of this law and order narrative and sort of like I think the country from a polls perspective was supportive of, of police reform and social, you know, so, social justice initiatives to prevent police brutality. But I think the stuff in like Portland has been definitely weaponized against the Democrats because there's a narrative out there that says, oh, this is this is chaos. This is anarchy. You know, they're highlighting the more extreme elements of, you know, protesters going into neighborhoods, shining lights into people's homes and all that stuff. And that's being weaponized against the Democrats. So there's this dual, these big two narratives related to COVID and, and sort of unrest that are being used against each other. Um, that's, I think, noteworthy and, and, and will you know, certainly have a huge impact on the election. Ben, do you want to give us an update on uh, where the state of COVID is in our country? It seems like I heard today that New York, shockingly, has, has tested, we have 1% testing, whatever it is, infectious rate for the general population 
and we're doing something like 100,000 tests a day, which makes me feel pretty safe, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think testing has improved markedly, obviously, like the availability of testing. It's still not anywhere close to the numbers that will be required to lift certain restrictions. Um, but I think in terms of uh, sort of going about your day-to-day -day life, as long as you take sensible precautions, um, you can you can feel relatively comfortable, you know still wear a mask, still don't touch your face, disinfect your hands, yada, yada, yada. I think that, you know, where we're kind of at with COVID right now, I think that baseline rate is starting to trend more positively. Um, I would say, as you alluded to in New York in particular, but where I would be most concerned is kind of these super spreader events that are popping up. And most notably, there was one I think was mentioned earlier in, um, in South Dakota, where there was a big motorcycle rally over the course of 10 days. And people have looked at this from a from a data perspective, and they found that they as they estimated about 260,000 new cases uh, were directly tied to this motorcycle rally, and at a cost of about a little under $50,000 per COVID patient, this would, you know, tally to a little over $12 billion in direct public health costs as a result of a fucking motorcycle rally. Um, so I think that going forward where COVID has become politicized and you have, you know, direct defiance of really common sense, particular among the more fringe elements of the Republican Party, I think that this is a phenomenon that is going to continue in particular, as opposed to things just kind of rising more organically. Although the potential complication and the caveat to all of this is what the hell happens with flu season. So get your flu shots. Have you heard about this Hamptons situation where like people are paying ultra rich people in the Hamptons are paying one or two doctors to provide like on-site COVID testing so they can like attend parties. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you have the, if you have the cash, then that seems like a service that you could probably find from someone with few ethics. So the other thing I was, I just read an article from the New York times about how masks, people are guessing that masks might be a form of variolation, so a tiny allowing people to be exposed to a tiny bit of the virus without it actually infecting them. I find this to be a really interesting idea. And there's, if you read up on it, there's a crazy. The history of our world is fucking nuts. That people back in the day used to take tiny little bits of scabs from things like smallpox or the plague and put them into open wounds, and people became famous or known for being able to pick the perfect little tiny amounts of virus to therefore infect and vaccinate people. Is this something that could be happening on a large scale? It's possible. I have no earthly idea how this would be tested or people would figure this out. You'd have to have like really good mask adherence data and really good contact tracing, and that's certainly not something that's ever going to be feasible. But this is, you know, as you alluded to, the most primitive vaccines were, were essentially using the same method, using a very, very limited amount. I guess that where I would be somewhat skeptical is COVID is extremely virulent, which means you don't need to get much of the virus in order to then have it subsequently propagate and give you a full-blown infection. You know, some of these other ones, smallpox isn't a great example, but in particular, Yersinia pestis, which is a bacteria, not a virus, that tends to follow a slower growth curve. And if you're putting it into a site where there's already an ongoing immune response, it's more likely that that'll be cleared relatively quickly. So I'd be a little bit skeptical with this thing in particular, but God knows that it's there. there is a precedent for it. Hearing this actually makes me feel there was a time early in the pandemic when people were debating if masks are necessary or not. And a lot of really smart people 
we're saying they really don't do a lot because they only uh, protect people that are spreading the disease, not actually you're more likely to get it or you're just as likely to get it because at the time they felt people were spreading it by on contacts on surfaces. Now it's it's pretty much well known that it is the aerosolized in close proximity COVID that makes it really dangerous. So I don't know. It's just it's one of these stories that makes you realize you need to listen to science, but also sort of take a step back and think of common sense and and something I don't think the Republicans are doing a very good job of right now, mm. except for Nick, obviously. No. Well, it's complicated. I think there is a negative. This country has traditionally had a we're a, a big country. And big countries have a lot of skepticism of the central government and, and that's sort of ingrained in our culture. But yeah, from a public health perspective, I, I totally think that, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Fauci's and I think he's doing the Lord's work and, and I think we should listen to him. I would like to, you know, point out that we can we can take care of public health while helping businesses as much as possible. You know, that means relaxing regulations when it comes to, you know, if it's a restaurant, they want to, you know, have a patio outside on the sidewalk. I think there's a lot of things the government can do to help small businesses survive this instead of kind of having draconian regulations. I think there's there are things that we can do that are safe and, and would take public health into consideration while at the same time helping small businesses survive. I mean, I'm, I'm on pins and needles wondering what's going to go down in New York once the the cold of the fall hits, because a lot of these places are barely surviving as is, and then it's, people aren't going to be able to go out. They won't have an outlet. I just I think that that battle between De Blasio and also I guess Cuomo is involved in some ways too for what levels things are going to be opened up is going to be uh, intense as it goes forward. Also, the potential interaction between the flu virus and COVID is something to worry about. I, I mean, I talked about this a while ago, but. People are dying of COVID due to something called a phenomenon called cytokine storm, which is where your body mm. basically totally flips out and produces way too much uh, pro-inflammatory uh, material, essentially. And this is why people with underlying conditions like autoimmune diseases, where your body is essentially in a constant state of pro-inflammatory stress, were doing much worse. And the concern with flu is that activates pro-inflammatory pathways as well, but they're distinct from those of COVID. So you could get a kind of synergistic effect that could lead to problems. Um, you know, we're still uncovering a lot of the uh, huge cardiac fallout in a lot of young and healthy people who got, uh, who, who were tested positive for COVID. So get your fucking flu shots. It's base. It's like $5. Any Walgreens will do it for you. Do you, it's do you extra think that important this year. Do you think that the flu shot, flu itself, there will be less cases of flu just because of precautions that people are, are now taking, whether, you know, hand washing, hand sanitizer. My, my understanding is like they, they gauge what strain of the flu will hit North America based on what happens in Australia. And I heard Australia has had very few cases of the flu this year. Yes, that's exactly how it works. So basically they look at the flu season from the previous winter in the opposite hemisphere and they pick out the five most common strains, or not always common, but um, sort of a combination of the ones that are most common and the most virulent. And those are the ones that are included in the flu vaccine for the for six months after the fact. So yeah, as you say, it will be interesting to see how effective this vaccine is. I do think it would be, I think overall, there will definitely be fewer people getting flu because of the precautions people are taking. But at the same time, if you do get it, I think you might be really kind of fucked. Trouble. So yeah. So the other uh, 
disaster right now is the California fires, which seem to be growing in magnitude every day. Dan, how does it, what does the sky look like around you? It has a real surreal look. It's like today, it's the first day it's been cloudy in a long time, and but it's this orange cloudiness because there's kind of some smoke mixed into the clouds. Um, there's been some smoky days for sure, but I think it's kind of crazy. I mean, for California, had the, I think it was the second and third just largest wildfire in the history of California that were just about getting under wraps. And now a new couple fires have emerged and it's just kind of been surreal. And I think it's been almost a month now, if you're living in kind of San Francisco or any of the cities in the Bay where it's been basically either moderate to very unhealthy to go outside, which is like an unprecedented stretch. So hopefully there'll be some relief soon, but it's definitely kind of becoming a little insane to live in the Bay area right now with this unrelenting smoke. And do you have elect- do you have functioning electricity in the Bay area? In California? Yes. I think most places do. They were talking about some blackouts, but they're saying maybe tomorrow they might have to do some, but they haven't really done a lot of blackouts yet. And, and have you followed the governor's request to keep your air conditioning at 78 degrees? Um, yeah, we usually keep it very, very warm in here. It's good for the body to be a little warm for work. You were going to narc on Dan? Uh, no, I, I find it, I just find it peculiar. I find it peculiar. Not Dan, just California in general has had a history. I think since I remember like Gray Davis and PG&E and all that stuff. Well, Enron like, ruined the energy yeah, market Enron, in California. That's, that's true. So that's that true, was, that's true. we had Enron and then besides Enron, there haven't really been major issues with the energy markets until the real wildfire breakouts the last couple of years. But yes, they were rolling blackouts when Enron bought all the energy and was like hostaging California for a while. Where does where does California get most of its energy from? I don't know. I think the sun. No, I don't know. Uh, I think from California and the sun and there were some nuclear power plants around here. There's three nuclear power plants in California. Two have been shut down. San Onofre was shut down in like 2013 because apparently nuclear is not renewable. That's a big, it is a big heretical debate in the uh, clean energy, is nuclear clean or not clean? I think think nuclear is clean. I think it gets a bad rap for just morons. It depends on the fuel source as well. Uh, Well, I think, I mean, I do, I think nuclear is great. I think if it, with proper safety procedures, I think it's excellent. Uh, Yeah, but don't put it on the coast of a country that has more earthquakes than any other country in the world. Yeah. So that part's no, that, rough. The earthquake risk is real. I think the other question is like, you know, the Chernobyl documentary just didn't help the cause. No, and that's but that's a Soviet as a design flaw in the Soviet reactor. I, I mean, I just think it's like Germany after Fukushima shut down most of its nuclear plant in the name of like environmentalism. What they what was so. not reported is that they switched a lot of their electricity to get more energy from France, which is like 93% nuclear. And they, in Germany's like greenhouse gas emissions, emissions increased dramatically after they shut down their nuclear. So I, I do think there's this like schizophrenia regarding nuclear that I think is, is, is harmful to the environmental cause and harmful to people, to con- electricity consumers. I read this New Yorker article maybe like five or six years ago at this point about this savant kid who had come up with a nuclear reactor technology that could be buried in the ground in a very small space covered in a concrete block but supposedly the technology was too expensive and too volatile at the time to actually create but the future of it will look something like that that there will be these reactors sort of built within shells that can be shut down immediately and are run by sort of computers i mean it's kind of a meme within the 
you know, nuclear power community. But I feel like thorium is probably the way to go. It's much cleaner. It's much safer. There's a fuck ton of thorium in the earth. It's like one of the most common heavy metals. It's basically impossible to weaponize the byproducts, which low-key might be why it hasn't caught on yet. But thorium reactors in uh, in concept are, are much, much safer. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so what uh, as we do normally at the end, should we switch to the NBA? Well, I think we could talk Botox. about Oh, yeah. Well, that, that'll be the very end. Ah, okay. Sorry. So NBA recap. Right now, Giannis is out for game five of the Bucks heat. So a lot of people think that that will mean the end of the Bucks season They're and start a summer of rumors of will Giannis ask for a trade because the Bucks roster sucks. I think he stays. He just doesn't seem like the type of player who cares to be in like New York or L.A. or whatever. Right. But at the same time, you want to win, right? And their roster just doesn't have a lot of flexibility. Like, I'm not personally sure the best strategy with Giannis is to have Brooke Lopez on the court all the time. No. I mean, they need to just treat him like a center. He's a center. Stop trying to make him shoot threes. Let him run the floor. Let him clog the paint. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that he's ball handling and then he's like taking these insane threes with like 18 sh- seconds left on this shot clock. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense whatsoever. And like, like because Giannis they're having him, what's that? I was, was going to see what Nick's thoughts on Giannis are. How are the Washington Bullets doing? Or Wizards, sorry, Wizards. Uh, well, they have a really, really good, probably top 20 player in Bradley Beal. The problem is they also have the worst contract in the entire NBA in John Wall, um, mm-hmm. who literally can't stay on the court he's trying to come back from an achilles injury and i think he's owed like 42 million dollars <laughs> um so that's literally the most untradeable contract in the nba it's like the ozil of the nba yeah but worse because ozil has fake injuries but john wall has had like catastrophic knee and now achilles injuries i see ozil's back I mean, just hurts because he plays so much fortnite i think the celtics will probably end up winning this series even though i really don't want them to and they do look good but i also just really don't like both of you and fans from boston in general so i really want them to lose but i'm also <laughs> excited about how good the heat are starting to look and just how cool jimmy butler is in general so now i'm excited for the next series are, are you a pelicans fan yeah, I like the Pelicans, but they they have a you know really rocky history. Made made a lot of interesting front office decisions over their short tenure as a team. Right. I mean, they're I would say the Celtics are amazing. They actually might be the best team left if Gordon Hayward comes back. Like all of a sudden, they have the best third option in the league and the best fourth option in the league. And is Jason Tatum better than Jimmy Butler? I don't know. Maybe he's certainly more and efficient. That, more efficient and then you go okay in the west lebron and ad are amazing but then the lakers have no one and then the clippers like i don't know i'm not a huge paul george guy so there's light this could be the year i think the clippers are the the threat like they have the the deepest and like most modern roster in terms of their wings which is clearly how you have to play in the playoffs boston probably matches up they match up well with them. Both the games against the Clippers this year were absolutely insane. Like, I think one was a double overtime, and I think the the other one was, like, a two-point game or something, and, and each team won one. So I think that's, like, the most interesting series from a tactical perspective. But we'll see. So, wait, Nick, in the yeah. next week, will you watch one of the basketball games and just yeah, then we so can, can talk contribute. about it? Yeah. yeah. Then we can so, get your opinions. Well, so the Clippers... 
what I remember about the Clippers is I used to, my grandmother used to watch Jay Leno. Okay. And I think back in like the early 2000s or the late 90s with the Clippers, like terrible. Yeah. And I think that's why entirety, yeah. When I think of the Clippers, I think of just Jay Leno making fun of them. But like back in like 2002 or something yes. like that. The Clippers have been terrible for their entire history, basically, up until they got Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. And I think that was like 2008. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Something like that. And they got um, better. And they were owned by like the biggest piece of racist shit in the nba sterling until yeah donald sterling until yeah. basically the nba forced him to sell to steve ballmer uh, um, microsoft guy yeah. yes well, so they've historically always been a joke yeah yeah i haven't followed them since gilbert arenas brought a gun to practice or something that was Remember the story that? yeah but yeah i'll watch i i, I think my father was I a think. celtics fan oh wow okay so let's watch the the celtics game i think they play tomorrow they play tomorrow Watch that, Nick. And if they if they lose, then then you can watch Game Seven. Okay. I, uh, who do you think? Who is China? Who is Xi Jinping rooting for? Anyone but Houston. He. Oh. He, why? Which why? is kind of nuts because so, Houston used to be the most favorite Ming, Chinese yeah. team because yeah, of Yao Ming. No, it's it's because the Houston GM Daryl Morey this past yeah, summer. He's a said, hero. Tweeted. Yeah, he tweeted free Hong Kong or like stand with the people of Hong Kong. He's and a hero. Since, <laughs> and since then no rockets game has been broadcast in china like it's like they don't exist and yeah is that when lebron said, was like people just don't understand or something he said something really yes. dumb about the chinese communist party mm-hmm. yeah, all right so saga. to end the episode ben will you answer our we had one listener question this week which is what is the effect of botox for migraines. Can you explain us the science behind Botox and migraines? Yeah, sure. Um, so Botox is it short for botulinum toxin, which is, I believe, either like the second or third most potent natural toxin that's found in the world. Um, so this is basically, this can kill you if you eat spoiled food. Um, if you've ever heard the adage that you shouldn't purchase dented cans in the supermarket it's because they're more likely to have a small puncture and therefore the food inside is more likely to be spoiled and therefore you might die of of botulinum toxin um so there's that basically botox is injecting very very small amounts of that into specific sites because what botox does is it's a paralytic and it does this by blocking neurotransmitters and also by paralyzing uh, muscle fibers. So for wrinkles, it's used in very small amounts to essentially paralyze the muscles around the face or around the wrinkle that would therefore then stretch the skin out and prevent it from sort of creasing and becoming wrinkled. In terms of migraines, what's also known because I said, like I said, it blocks neurotransmitters and migraines are essentially caused by um, inappropriate activation of the pain mechanisms in your head, which radiate down. Botox has been used in patients that suffer from really, really chronic migraines. So if you look at the indication in order to be able to get Botox for chronic migraine, you have to have at least 15 per month, um, which is a pretty crazy amount. And I can't imagine living with that kind of pain because migraines really, really suck. So what they'll do is they'll essentially inject very small amounts uh, at particular places along the, the nerve endings that run from your head down. And so around like your head and neck area, and this can block some of those neurotransmitters that are causing chronic pain. And so this is like one of the medical applications of Botox beyond plastic surgery. It's also used to treat certain kinds of neck pain and uh, pain associated with spinal injuries and also like different kinds of incontinence is the other main use for it. 
Hmm. So wait, if if you don't have 15 a month, but you get some migraines, would just getting regular Botox uh, help with that, or would it need to be specifically targeted? It needs to be specifically targeted. They, it's different doses. It would be done by different doctors. I would absolutely not recommend trying to go to a plastic surgeon to do this kind of thing, because like I said, this stuff well, is very, very potent. It can kill What you. about like one of the Botox people in the mall? Would that be... <laughs> probably inadvisable well also due to covid um is that why dan looks so young dan yes uh, um because of botox you're saying or just because i have youthful energy and i'm a liberal and so liberals just live longer with their optimistic self Mm, (laughs) trying to think of a witty rebuttal to that Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we'll be speaking to CFA and global investment analyst Remy Geekel about the wild west of investing. Please send us any questions you might have on Instagram at whatourpoint.